bandwidth for JS Party is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Fridays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time. Head to changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. All right. Uh, welcome to episode 24 or so of the Yakery podcast, uh, takeover of the JS Party podcast. It's been uh, a couple minutes, uh, maybe a few weeks here now since we've had uh, a Yakery episode. But um, for JS Party listeners uh, who don't know Yakery, uh, Yakery is myself. Uh, and then in order, introduce yourselves, uh, Paul, Rebecca, Adam. Uh, Paul Irish. Um, I am a JavaScript developer and I like the web. And that's me. Known, known for his ability <laughs> to communicate well, Paul Irish. Known, known for liking the web, Paul Irish. Uh, I'm Rebecca Murphy. I'm also a JavaScript developer. I, I think the web's okay. Mm, that's fair. Um, I'm Adam uh, Sontag. I, uh, I love the WWW which is, I believe, Paul's real original bio. Mm. So I also uh, am an erstwhile JavaScript developer and now a community director, I guess. So Community. Yeah. Uh, so we used to have a podcast called Yakery. Um, one, one of the first nascent uh, JavaScript podcasts, um, it was loosely about jQuery, um, but we branched very quickly into m most front-end web development topics pretty quickly. JS Party uh, actually somewhat gets its name from the, uh, the whimsy of the, uh, the jQuery days. Um, for, I think one of the original names for JS, JS Party was JS Matters because it's like, uh, like events or like things about JavaScript and also that it matters. Uh, but they thought oh, that was... Not like Family Matters? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much exactly. <laughs> <like family matters. laughs> uh, but uh, no normally I'm joined by uh, Michael Rogers uh, and Rachel White, but they're like in Germany or something. I have no idea where they are. Uh, who, who knows? Who, who could possibly know that information? Uh, so this week we've decided to have uh, a little Yakery reunion for everybody. So let let's jump in since uh, we have a little bit to talk about. Um, what has changed since the last episode that we've had? Um, I think Rebecca and I both have children now. Uh, That's and... no big deal. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, I mean, 2.0. 2. Uh, yeah, you know, it never occurred to me until now that we never put dates on the jQuery website. So it kind of seems kind of evergreen. Um, <laughs> it's evergreen until you listen to like three seconds of it. And we're like, jQuery 1.4.111 commit 938. <laughs> Seven zero came out today. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed so uh, important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was at the time. 
Uh, all right. So, so I think we're going to start off with uh, not a traditional segment, but I, we kind of want to talk about things that didn't exist in the web or JavaScript uh, the last time we were all on a podcast together, which is quite a bit, uh, which is kind of cool in, in how fast uh, things gather speed and become like the main deals that everyone talks about. But you don't realize how, how quickly that kind of comes up. Paul, you want to talk about something that has happened since then? Sure. Uh, there is a, uh, there was a JavaScript uh, framework um, that was introduced in this uh, time period um, that some of you might be familiar with called React.js. Um, I, I hear they want to put XML in our JavaScript. Yeah, no, exactly. So I, I think hold that's... on. I'm going to need to angrily put down my margarita to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was this. Uh, so the interesting thing here was like um, React.js actually launched at JSConf at, in Florida, and I think we're we're all of us there at that one. I think yeah, I think I, we were I actually. The talk. Oh, we were already doing didn't we do jQuery reunion? It was yeah, we were already yeah, doing jQuery reunions when React <laughs> came out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just I remember from that like the just the vibe that day at the conference like Facebook just showed this thing where they want to put XML and JS that is crazy this this framework like why are they doing this why don't they just work with one of the existing frameworks like this is this is so against the community or something like I felt like there was so much so much like concern and being like mm, don't like this that that day there was a. Uh... Two tweets, two tweets from close friends of the of the Yakery podcast. I, I think Rick Waldron and Ben Allman both had tweets <laughs> that were pretty much like, oh, yeah. uh, "Facebook uh, is, uh, you know, belittling all best practices that have ever existed <laughs> uh, in the face of, you know, like just so very serious tweets." Uh, but to be fair, I think uh, Tomicino. Uh, was he? I don't know if he was ever on a Yakery show. He's definitely like spoke at the first TXJS because he was friends with us. But uh, I think they focused on the wrong stuff in that first talk. Uh, I think it was a, like because later they did the the talk just like six months later at EU and everyone loved it. So I think it was. I think they were trying to focus on the uh, the bindy type, like auto bindy type stuff because that was really hip, and they were like glossing over the fact that they had added uh, like this ES4 feature of JSX back into the language um, and and didn't necessarily like on click handlers and all that stuff. So. And Pete Hunt talked about that at TXJS 2015 about kind of the mistakes of that uh, of that rollout. I just I remember yeah. there's probably alcohol involved because it was the end of the day and it was like the big reveal. But I just remember the room being like appalled. Yeah. at this yeah. thing that they were seeing and yeah it was a long time before it kind of recovered from that yeah it was like there was a good like at least six months where everyone where it just had a really like everyone had a really like bad opinion of it and was just like Ugh, don't like it and it but was just, dojo it was, though guys dojo is totally <laughs> still uh i often think about our arguments uh back in the day rebecca of rolling your own a uh, large application with jQuery or using Dojo, and how uh, I think uh, Paul one time uh, said something along the lines of like, "Alex, I think you won that argument in that people agreed with you and and went that direction, but Rebecca was right, and then we were all wrong uh, because none of those things <laughs> occur anymore." 
Uh, like in that, in that, you were right in the argument of rolling your own is is just more feasible and and kind of easier. But Rebecca was right in this in the sense that like it's actually yeah. better. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca was right um, in that Rebecca was at Bizarre Voice for another three years after Alex rolled his own. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and left us. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're you're at Indeed now, uh, correct, Rebecca? That's that's right. Uh, do you guys use types? Do you use uh, Flow or TypeScript or anything? Oh God, do I have to answer this? Uh, well, I mean, uh, that's the next thing that I was going to talk about because, uh, like, Flow Type, another Facebook things, but also TypeScript. Prior. I'm I'm a little bit like the actual answer is yes, but we mostly use Google Closure, but we're fixing that. The the comments the comments with the text. yeah the well like google closure itself google closure the library and then the closure oh, compiler. I see. um oh you use closure library yeah uh, uh, but not provide. we we have some teams that are um people really like the um the strong typing of that and so we have some teams that are moving away from closure because like no one uses it except google sure. no offense um, but but moving to things like TypeScript and Flow, we haven't really settled on one. But people like yeah. their types because they're Java people. Yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting segue because Clojure like uh, had type annotations in comments in order to do like way better building way back in the day. Uh, I added them to Yefnope, and I would double minify Yefnope uh, with Clojure, and then with Uglify, it would come out smaller. Um, and it would take ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it was small enough, whatever. But yeah, so since then we've had kind of flow type and TypeScript come up. Flow type's written in OCaml. So if you ever want to attribute to that, uh, brush up on your OCaml. But uh, I guess I'm interested on, on knowing like what the uptick on types across like the regular JavaScript community is. I imagine it's it seems popular. Paul? Yeah, at least I'll say in, in <laughs> I, uh, I work on a few projects. So I work on um, both the Chrome DevTools and on uh, Lighthouse, um, which is kind of an auditing performance tool. Um, DevTools is written, uh, we use Clojure Compiler, so everything has the annotations. And um, and it's really like when the entire project is, is annotated, um, that compilation step is super valuable and super useful. Um, over in Lighthouse, we have uh, a portion of it, like our CLI, we actually port it over to TypeScript, and then we're using Clojure annotations for the remainder of the JavaScript in the project. So we're using kind of like a little bit of both um, there. Uh, and it's interesting because it's like, I mean, we haven't, like at least on our team, we haven't come to a conclusion about it. It's like, well, the TypeScript is nice because it, it catches different things and it's like there's better in-editor tooling support. Um, but the compile step is, you know, annoying. Um, whereas, you know, the immediate reload or rerun um, of just JavaScript is so attractive. So we're just kind of like in that holding pattern. I've overheard people say things to that effect, which is like, oh, are you using TypeScript? Nah, I'm like only going as far as ELS6 modules. I'm only, like, it feels like <laughs> do, if I if I want to be going down the path of what JavaScript is going down, uh, maybe I might avoid that. Yeah, And I think that what we've seen is that types help, but they're not, they don't like make you write good JavaScript. And so you can have a, a closure 
compiler comment that says these 40 arguments are these types, but you still <laughs> are passing in 40 arguments. So um, I think you, it can seem like kind of the safety net for people who maybe aren't used to writing JavaScript, which is kind of my world, but it doesn't make your JavaScript good. Uh, I, it's interesting because I think part of the standards bodies are kind of maybe taking like normally when people kind of do their own things and add to like CoffeeScript happen. And then I think a lot of ES6 uh, was was at least sped up um, and, and some syntax like fat arrows were inspired by CoffeeScript. And, and like it, the things, innovations to the language end up in the spec. But I almost feel like the opposite thing is happening with types where they're like, we want to get types in. We've been uh, looking at it for a long time. It's hard. Uh, let's try this. Let's try this. And then whenever like flow type and TypeScript came out, they're like, okay, well, those things solve it. So let's not <laughs> work on it as hard in the spec because people have options already. So I'm interested to see how that plays out long term. I, I don't ever see JavaScript in types for what it's worth. Um, it would just change it too fundamentally, but maybe I'm wrong. That's that's a prediction. Uh, I mean, in that same vein, like uh, I think ES6, ES5. We did an episode uh, whenever ES5 landed, uh, and we talked about the new like array prototype functions and things like that, and how you'd have to use polyfills to get it all to work. So since then, uh, a few versions um, of JavaScript have been released, and it's kind of evergreen now, and it's hard. I guess uh, JavaScript is never good. It's HTML, whatever. Um, but we've had ES6, ES7, ES2015, ES2016, and now we're in the midst of uh, 2017. I think we're all using it. Everyone using Babel for everything. I, I guess Clo uh, DevTools probably isn't Paul, Except right? Brian LaRue. Well, sure. Yeah. And yeah. No, uh, we don't. Yeah, we don't use Babel. Uh... I think I think part of it is because, yeah, in the, in the DevTools case, like, we only run in Chrome, so we write code we make sure that that what we're writing today and lands essentially in canary will work in chrome stable like that's kind of what we have to operate under um but yeah compiling the source is kind of a is has some ergonomic downsides um so we're not really interested in it cool um yeah. and then since then we, we also uh <laughs> one of the things that one of the news segments on the show that we did was uh, talk about when Node was released at JSConf EU. Um, and I, no I think one's our... ever going to use JavaScript on the server. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we seemed oh. excited about it, but I, I think uh, none of us really understood what it was. And we were all just <laughs> excited because Twitter was so excited about it. Well, I um, just, I, I have my favorite story go ahead. about it, which you all know my story, which is that when Node.js came out, you all were excited about it running around Europe. And everyone was like, uh, I was like, what is Node.js? What is Node.js? And like NoSQL was like a thing. I was like, oh, <laughs> so like Node.js is like the NoSQL of JavaScript. It's like JavaScript without JavaScript. But then I found out that it was called Node.js. <laughs> Node.js. Uh, I like it. So yeah. Can I ask another question on this topic, which is, because I think one of you guys know the answer better than me, around um, ES modules and MJS, MJS extension. Because uh, one, I don't really know where things are completely, but I just remember being like slightly, you know, infuriated that we're going to have to adopt uh, .mjs for all the ES module files for this oh, whole yeah. node compatibility. And I was like, come on, like the people that have been doing it wrong, they get the real extension. 
And now the real <laughs> thing gets have to kicked off. And I was like, this is so stupid. It's stupid. And then like at some point I was like hanging out with Alex Russell and Dominic DeNicola. And I was like, guys, isn't this so stupid? And they're like, why? What's the problem with it? And they're like, it seems okay. And so and I was like, uh, well, if they think it's okay, then probably <laughs> I guess it's okay. <laughs> uh, you kind of glossed over that the uh, there, I think it's Bradley Mech mostly was working right. on how to do um, importing of JavaScript modules in Node.js, like officially yes. um, based on the stuff. And it turned out to there, I don't even know the exact details of the problem, but there's some problem where because people were doing modules in a weird way before, all their stuff would break if we kept using the same system that they're currently using. And so in order to differentiate between those two different systems, you would name your real new official modules with the extension .mjs instead of .js. And I think I agree that like the people who broke it should have to change. Uh, what, what, what's the, I think it's a office space quote. Why should I have to change my name? He's the one who sucks. Uh, we don't have a ton of time to get through the the beginning of this so we're going to move on a little bit there there was an iojs release and fork and uh a few other things but no js 8 is coming out soon so i don't think we can cover all that plus michael's not on the show and he'll want to have opinions uh that was our section of things that didn't exist in javascript since we last had an episode i don't think we nailed it because we talked about two things we talked about on previous episodes but whatever then the next section we have in here is things that used to exist when we had episodes but don't anymore. I, I only put two things in here. Yefnope, I deprecated Yefnope. That was, uh, people still use it. It's very popular still for some reason. And JSConf US uh, is something we talked about a lot. Maybe it'll come back though. Uh, I, I wanted to intentionally rush through that section because it wasn't that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, Moving on. The, uh, the, the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was a little background behind some of the language we used on the show that I don't think we ever some uh, kind of described. behind the scenes behind the scenes yeah. action yeah yeah a little bit of like uh, behind the scene I don't know a different word for behind the scenes action uh, Paul um, people may have seen us uh, talking about uh, like editing a clap or this is what's on the clap um, uh, yeah. can you can you give me some background on that <laughs> okay sure uh, so the way that we together yay episodes um we'd get together and i think we'd like get on video chat we would get on a little etherpad document and etherpads you know uh, is it was like an ajax app with collaborative editing where everyone's edits is highlighted so it's very clear like who wrote what and then we'd like just get on there and start drinking and then figure out what the hell we we're going to talk about and then like two hours later actually record an episode i think actually but anyways that etherpad instance that we had was hosted on oksoclap.com. Um, and this was hosted by our friend um, Vlad, who uh, set the whole thing up for us. And it was like the coolest little um, instance, and it worked so good for us. Now, the history of that oksoclap okay, is pretty much because in the beginnings of jQuery, I think it was my fault that um, was it just when I was getting like tired of a topic or when no, I was, it was like, at the okay, beginning we're... of every segment, Paul, any <laughs> yeah. segment that Paul would yeah. start. Oh, right. And I'm like starting to be like, okay, this is how it went. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, so this is how the story goes, you know? Exactly. And, 
and I say, okay, so, and I clap my hands. Um, and it was just like, I don't know, like a nervous tick, but it just turned into a, a thing that Alex picked up on and, and made it into a thing. And now the DNS entry doesn't well, resolve. If I recall, I, Alex is a guy who knows when things are things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a guy who knows when things are things, and that was a thing. Uh, I think we're running up on the first break, uh, so we're going to take a break right now and come back with a few uh, classic segments. Yeah. First sponsor of the show today is our friends at Sentry, helping you to find and fix your errors in your applications. You can start tracking your errors today totally free. They support React, Angular, Ember, Vue, Backbone, and Node frameworks like Express and Koa. You can view actual code and stack traces, including support for source maps. See the errors URL, parameters, and session information, and even prompt your user for feedback when you have front-end errors. Head to jsparty.fm slash sentry. Start tracking your errors for free today. No credit card required. Get off the ground with their free plan, and when you're ready to expand your usage, simply pay as you go. Once again, jsparty.fm slash sentry. And now back to the show. And we're back. <laughs> Uh, during the break, uh, some people, uh, some people, the, the other, uh, Paul reminded me of uh, the fact that uh, the OK So Clap Etherpad instance um, was was actually used by TC39, the uh, the technical committee number 39 from the ECMA standards body organization uh, system enterprise uh, is <laughs> they, they used. Uh, the OK So Clap for years to take notes. So like the official JavaScript language was partially developed using the OKSoClap.com etherpad created by jQuery. So our our tentacles go deep into the language. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> Adam, Adam, was this? You, was this oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, it's like, it's, uh, there's this, it, I remember it just, it's a symbol of how different that whole like sort of standards process is then like when we started jQuery, it's a lot more open. Um, and I think that that is a nice thing to point out. And that. Oh is, yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that like when we started, it was like, you know, a bunch of people that we didn't, that who knew who it even was. And then nowadays, like, you know, not only like Rick Waldron has been involved in it forever, but people from Twitter and like node and a lot of like, actual JavaScript developers from the community are engaged in TC39. So it's a much different and much more open collaborative feeling these days. Uh -huh. yeah. I think it was, I think it was Rick. That was the crossover between yeah. jQuery back channeling and taking notes at TC39 meetings. And he did that through the, the jQuery uh, foundation seat that we bought on TC39 uh, for him and Yehuda. So it was actually jQuery kind of, the popularity of jQuery was able to raise enough money to create a foundation that was able to buy seats on TC39 to put real developers and open up notes and do those things. So I think uh, a lot of that uh, history of the community getting more involved and stuff is really nifty and nice and glad to have seen it happen. <laughs> I forgot, uh, Michael and uh, Rachel are going to be on, gone next week. And I'm, I need to get Rick on the show, maybe. We'll see. It, we can just do to, this again. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I can shave my head or something. <laughs> we just fully take over the podcast. Uh, <laughs> lock Rachel and Michael up in a closet every Friday. I could do like a uh, part where I talk about steak or something. I don't know. Steak? I don't know. That steak that you uh, flew home with of, you? Some, oh, that's a different story. Oh! Okay. <laughs> I'm lost. 
there's a soundboard. Sometimes we get Rachel talking about cat hair, which is probably my favorite one. Can we play that? Hold on. I have cat hair in my uh, mouth. Uh, one second. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Cat hair in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, don't say anything you don't want. Be turned in. Oh, wait. That happened on an episode of Gilmore Girls. I know what that is. That was about uh, Node.js uh, forking into IOJS. That was the Gilmore Girls season two, episode three. Uh, nice. Let's get into a classic segment. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a little segment. Mm. Uh, it's about little tiny things that you never thought you knew. It's a segment we like to call Hit It! And if we're lucky, um, we added some audio for our old <laughs> song to be there. And if you're so you unlucky, didn't have to hear that. <laughs> then you heard us yelling it. Or maybe yeah. you got both. Uh, cool. So uh, the hit enhancement this week, uh, Adam, uh, why don't you introduce uh, the, the concept? Okay, so the concept of a hit enhancement, it's a ha- enhancement that's hidden, kind of like the, the last syllable of the, the first syllable of the word <laughs> enhancement is hidden in the last syllable of the word hidden. Uh, so uh, this is a segment <laughs> where we would talk about like cool stuff that kind of was around and you didn't know uh, you could use. Uh, like and in jQuery. Like in J- primarily in jQuery, but now most of that is in the DOM or some shit. Right, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so there was at least two hit enhancements that I wanted to uh, share. One's kind of a, yeah, and actually they're both kind of new. You might be familiar with document.elementfrompoint, where you provide an XY uh, location and it tells you the element that is right there. But there is another method which is more useful um, in some cases. Like if you know about that one, you might have a, some code where you're like, okay, we take the first one and then we're gonna like set pointer events or just hide it and then find out what's underneath it. So the other method is document.elements from point, the plural. And this returns an array of nodes from top to bottom that live at that XY coordinate. So you can just see exactly what the stack is. Is it a node uh, list? Is a node list. Is it? Is it, a lo- is it no list or is it an array? It's an array. God damn. Well, you know, there's a there's an interesting distinction between arrays and node lists, right? What's that, Paul? <laughs> a node list is like this, like you know, array like thing, but you know, it's kind of it's been frustrating because we always get back node lists from from like query selector all or get elements by tag name, right? And 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 a node list you can't do things with the that you'd normally do with an array. Right, and there's like if I recall, there's like prototype methods missing, and do a slice, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's always been frustrating, so that's why we always do that that you know array prototype slice deal. So number two hit enhancement is that the node list object is now iterable. So that means you get back it's everywhere. Yeah, it is everywhere. Um, I said like I think probably IE ten is probably where it bottoms out, but. Yeah, iterable node list um, available in all modern browsers. Uh, you get back the result from query selector all, and you have four each sitting on that. Um, so, just... speaking of IE ten, I just wanted to let you know about this other new browser that came out called IE nine. It's going to have CSS three support. 
And uh, you can read all or hear us talk all about this in the uh, South by Southwest question mark, question mark, question mark episode of Yay Query. Oh, yeah. Me and Paul. Oh, that's a good story. Uh, Paul and I uh, were given uh, via Yay Query, uh, because we were on the Yay Query podcast, for some okay. reason, we got VIP press badges to the yes. IE9 launch party at South by Southwest. <laughs> and we sat at like press tables as they did the press announcement. Like I, we were next to Wired. Like Wired was writing the article <laughs> in IE9 being launched. And me and Paul were just writing tweets about mm. uh, how IE9 uh, was just like gaming all of their demos. Um, it was a really good time. And then we went, uh, we got to go see Yaysayer at the after party uh, in the VIP section. Oh, I think uh, we were there with, uh, who was it? Uh, Werner Vogels from from Amazon, the CTO of Amazon. It was a it was a wild oh, yeah. ride. I and I, good good old days. <laughs> yeah, Yakeberry press badges were a thing at some, some point. I'm so uh, legit. That's funny. Uh, so uh, one other hidden enhancement that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I I saw an Adi Osmani tweet. Um, maybe a few a few bits ago. Uh, there's a new feature in DevTools. Uh. Paul knows a little bit about DevTools, um, Chrome DevTools specifically. And we're always talking about like splitting up your code and only loading the code that you need for the initial load and stuff like that. And it's actually a pretty difficult thing to know. You can have like really cool, good dependency management and try to figure it all out um, and like do trees and some sort of something. But uh, DevTools can tell you now exactly what code runs. I, I think splitting it up still might be difficult, but it's it's a really good like indicator, I think, of of that can you tell us how to find that paul sure uh so in um dev tools what you can do is uh it's in a place that we call the drawer which is like the little console at the bottom when you hit escape and that pops up and so you can uh definitely hit escape to bring up that or you can go through the top right the little three dots menu go to more tools and click coverage um, either way, either way, you're going to click a little menu, the three dots, and go for coverage. And from there, uh, there's a little record button. So start recording and stop it when you're done. Uh, you can just do it instantly. If all you want to look at is CSS, it's just going to look at the CSS that's used on the page. But usually you're looking at scripts, so you'll want to like load the page and and maybe like open up, uh, like try out some functionality. And then you get a report on exactly how many bytes of every file that's loaded have been evaluated either by the JavaScript engine or the style engine. Um, and then from there, you can go see the exact lines and whether they were evaluated or not. And yeah, and evaluate, you know, figure out on your own what you can kill off uh, or what you could move to another module and lazy load it, things like that. Very nifty. Mm -hmm. There's that some cool stuff to work. Or, oh, or, oh, <laughs> sorry, uh, in that <laughs> we're also thinking of making it more like live. So all those results would be streaming and maybe you would be able to like rewind to certain interesting points like, you know, um, at DOM content loaded, it was this, but then you scrub the slider forward and see what it was at window load. Um, so you can get like the history of all the coverage. Um, so you could get a better idea of how it kind of changes over time as each file was loaded and each thing happens. Um, so there's some ideas there. If anybody ha wants anything in particular, just holler at me, I'll do it. Is this available as data from like Lighthouse or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, we have it available. Um, we have some audits for this in Lighthouse. 
uh, two, and we just kind of summarize it at a high level. But yeah, um, and you can also build some tooling around this on your own uh, if you want to dig into the DevTools protocol. And it's it's pretty raw data over there, and it's going to need some massaging. But if you you know are interested in building a tool that kind of automates looking at this, then you definitely can. Sure. Uh, I think you have a tool that I was my pick last week. It's PW something or other, right? Right? PW. Uh, yeah, PW Metrics. PW Metrics is a command line tool that will automatically run Lighthouse locally uh, in a Chrome instance. So if you want to hook that up to your kind of like build process to get metrics out and then have kind of like tests that pass. So I, I think it could be a really nifty test to say that like you can never ship more than, you know, like some bottom line of like 80% of the code that gets loaded must be executed. Otherwise, uh, like the tests fail or something. That makes yeah. sense. It could be a really nifty, like kind of uh, build time check that that causes you to never go over that. Because um, cause once you go over it too far, it's it's much harder to fix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, that's really nifty. Good job. Good job at your job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next up, uh, we, we have probably the, the most famous segment. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a little... <laughs> it's, it's the... <laughs> the, it's the bug it up what would we have today would we have like the webpack loader of the week <laughs> yeah. <What would> be? <laughs> the babble transform of the, the week transform. <laughs> the react of the week <laughs> <laughs> so today's plugin of the week um i picked this but um rebecca uh, uh, i don't know if you've actually looked at it so why don't rebecca why don't you go ahead and actually um take this one for us wow that's really a, i mean it's an explosive modal mm. it's the most it explosive called? modal yeah. on the web it's called explodal duh uh <laughs> like what else would you call the most explosive modal on the web and I mean, this is this is in the true spirit of jQuery plugins. I feel like um, it's like functionality oh, that you—it's just CSS. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's functionality that you probably don't need on your website, but there's a plugin for it, so why don't you add it? Yeah, it's it's good. It's good. There's a nice. It's a modal that explodes open. It explodes. Yeah, I think like some good use cases for this, like, um, you know, the add to cart button on Amazon uh, would be good. So you click add to oh, cart yeah. and and instantly Amazon like <laughs> with like flames and fire and and really just, yeah, it, it's a nice, it's, it's those little touches that really add to that user experience, you know? Only 97.32% CSS. So I don't think we can say it's just CSS. I think the other part is a GIF though, right? No, there's one line of JavaScript. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'd have to look at this on GitHub really to it's see. It's on click handler. Uh, uh, they really should have done the old uh, checkbox checked uh, thing where you didn't need JavaScript. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, they're using trick. a straight up on click handler, like inline on click. It's, it's oh, pretty that's classic. Rough. Are you suggesting that they might not need JavaScript? <laughs> 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 I also, uh, as part of the plugin of the week, I don't, I don't think uh, it was ever the plugin of the week, but it just felt like the right place to talk about it. Um, uh, one friend of the podcast, Ralph Holzman, uh, let me know recently that there was recent activity in the LabJS project. LabJS, if you remember, was one of 
the many uh, entrants to the script loader wars uh, back in the day, you know, the, the good old wars oh, um, for asynchronous. We lost a lot of good devs out there. With <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Lab.js uh, was uh, Kyle Simpson or Getify, uh, as you've probably seen uh, streams of consciousness fly by your Twitter screen from him. Uh, but really bright dude, but I did, definitely did not expect a 3.0 or any late uh, late updates to these uh, script loader entries. So uh, yeah, 3.0 is in the works. I think it actually is is somewhat uh, in relation to actual standards that I've gotten through. Uh, so Kyle did some work with the standards bodies to do like uh, some of like the async false. Uh, stuff in order to like guarantee in in loader in order async loading. So if you inject a script with async false after the DOM was already loaded, it means that it must execute an order, and that is like a thing now. Um, a thing? There's also yeah, I, th- I think yeah, it's it's uh, it's oh, legit. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Alex gets to say when things are things. I believe yeah, it. That, if he says a it's a thing, it's if, a thing. If he says it, okay. Yeah, but specifically uh, link. Uh, rel preload. Uh, one, another one of Paul's coworkers, Eric Beidelman, uh, recently tweeted about uh, link rel preload for scripts and styles uh, landing. Mm. So you can uh, preload critical resources, um, but you can also do that with like service workers and stuff too. So uh, choose your tools wisely. Uh, but yeah, um, I thought it was interesting. A little, little LabJS update for everyone in 2017. Uh, next up, we were going to have uh, Paul Irish's jQuery anti-pattern for performance of the week. Womp womp is correct because uh, I think uh, Paul just decided that jQuery is the anti-pattern for performance of the week. Ouch! Yeah, yeah I guess. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. That's yeah. a double burn because that was my pre-show burn. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we'll, we'll move on quickly. How um, <laughs> to stay? Uh, next up uh, is is um, a, a less oft used segment that we add in in Yequery uh, called the Yequery Beginners Corner, and I would implore us to not sing this one, <laughs> Adam. <laughs> okay, Adam can sing it. It's uh, something like that. Right? Beginner talk. I'm, okay. Everything is new. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cut that out. Oh yeah. Everything is new. Yeah. That, that's Aww. Jonathan. Neal is uh, dying somewhere in the in the. Uh, <laughs> I think he started slide. an octave okay. too high there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call that off. Yeah. Also, shout out to Jonathan Neal um, for all of the music that hopefully you're hearing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is there is a um, what's it called uh, a band camp with all of this music out there from from John. Uh, I yeah, remember just back- Google uh, John Neal Bandcamp, uh, and all yeah. the music is right there. It's so good. Yeah, I remember back in the day we were like, "Hey, John, uh, you had like written some jQuery song once. You want to do a theme song for us?" And then like a day and a half later, he's like, "Here's 21 songs, uh, <laughs> of different lengths, all perfectly recorded for segments you didn't even know you had yet." With like uh, with like dense Beach Boys esque vocals, like it wasn't just uh, like he like turned on his tape recorder and like let his melodica rip uh, bizarre in in how fast and good the turnaround was on that amazing mm-hmm. truly amazing uh anyway let, let's get into the beginner's corner um who i think uh, rebecca was, you, you're yeah, talking about uh, 
Yeah, this was always my segment to like say things that maybe you didn't know. Uh, I just watched this video. I was actually what the the things you maybe didn't know is actually different. That's the the hidden enhancement. Wow. Just going to is this is this the throwdown here? <laughs> yeah. Throwdown is next. Well, actually, Rebecca's own segment. <laughs> yes, he did. He did just do that. Classic. As men do. No. Um sorry. Uh no, I just saw this video and I just it a lot of people are really mystified by Webpack and how it works, especially people who are kind of new to JavaScript and front-end development or people who have been doing it for a while but feel like they need to be doing it right now. And they're like, oh, I need to learn Webpack. And yikes, that's scary. This was just a really great video by Naomi Jacobs at BuzzJS. Um, so check that out. I, I hadn't heard of her, but she was just a really approachable speaker who kind of laid out, here's what Webpack actually does. Like, it's not magic. It's just JavaScript to make your app um, be able to load um, asynchronously, be able to load in tiny chunks instead of all at once and be able to do, you know, all the cool things that you can do with Webpack. So check it out. It's, I don't know, like 45 minutes or so long, but it was super approachable. And I sat in a room with a bunch of other devs watching it and could see them like, oh, I get it now. So highly recommend. On on the topic of uh, Webpack, I do some webpack work and, and have configured some crazy webpacks in my day. But there's some of it that's weird, right? Like the, the is it, does anyone like fully get why it's like a uh, query parameter based configuration in parts? Does that, is there a reason for that? I mean, it's like anything, it's like anything else that just like somebody needed something. And so somebody wrote code to make that thing. And okay. there wasn't like a design review behind it, I imagine. <laughs> like, yeah. here's how we should do it. But you don't have to pass it. Like, the query parameters are a nice string-based way to express configuration. But you can also set those as an object in the loader config out in your Webpack config. Right, 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 right. So, I don't know. It's a cool hack. Do you want to write JSON yeah. strings by hand? No. 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 Right. Uh, so, whatever. query strings. Okay. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, the uh, I I added something to this section too, so I might as well mention it. I think uh, everyone shared it a million times. But if you ever want to learn Redux, I I really like the Getting Started with Redux course on Egghead.io from from Dan Abramoff, who wrote Redux. It's very good. It, he takes you kind of through like the concepts of Redux by more or less building Redux uh, for you, and that sounds actually way scarier. But he pretty much says like, let's do this thing where we have this very simple thing, and it turns out we need this tool, and then he builds that tool in front of you. He's like, yeah, it's already in Redux. Um, it's kind of a good way to do it. But um, I want to. Can I? Can I say a thing oh, about Redux? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. You might not need Redux. Do you have a web page for that? I don't, but yeah. I will by the time this podcast is over. Couldn't possibly no, so, be true. I will by the time my my. Uh, company sponsors me to write one so that we get some <laughs> sweet marketing buzz no we were we were <laughs> re, we were rewriting um a thing on indeed.com that i can't really say much more about but we were rewriting it and we were using preact and um preact redux and redux and i did the webpack bundle analyzer thing and it was like 7k of my 21k bundle was for react uh, for redux and uh preact redux and it was like, you know, this is actually really simple and totally not worth one third of our bundle. Uh, we'll yeah. just do old school 
react state management. And it's like, it's okay. You don't have to use all these tools. Just like they did in the Articles of Confederation. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> the deep pull. <laughs> uh, and I already praised Addy once in this episode, which is more than enough. But he 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 just informed us of an article written by Dan Abramov, uh, who oh yeah, wrote this great. <laughs> called, you might not you need Redux. Uh, so scoop. That's a, that's a uh, good kind of yeah way to get out ahead of things. Just like yeah. make a ship something on your own and then write <laughs> write the you may not need this post for anyone else. Does. For sure, for sure. All right, I think we're running up on a break. So um, yeah. If you're looking for trusted freelance talent, ready to join your team right now, I mean like within the week, call upon my friends at TopTal, T-O-P-T-A-L.com. And as a listener of the show, you might actually be one of those developers or designers looking for awesome freelance, independent contractor type opportunities where you can still be a remote worker. You can still have the freedom you have right now, which means you can travel anywhere, you can be anywhere and do what you do. We love TopTal. They've been supporting this show for a very long time. They're really good friends of ours. If you want a personal introduction, I'd be glad to give that to you. Email me, adam at changelaw.com. Otherwise, head to toptal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com to learn more. Tell them Adam from Changelog sent you. And now back to the show. And we're back. One segment that I believe only happened one time. Uh, I don't think it was officially a segment um, because in the episode we didn't know it would become a segment because uh, a lot of because is in this. It, Adam introed it. There, there's some show on the Food Network. Adam Throwdown is that what it's called, or is it like a oh yeah, Bobby Place Throwdown? Throwdown, yeah, exactly. Throwdown. Um, so I think Adam and. Uh, Paul had planned an argument to have and and Adam uh, gave it the throwdown section. But uh, I recently got into an argument, uh, a pleasant, uh, friendly argument with a friend about function binding uh, in the new world, uh, especially in the world where we're not compiling uh, fat arrows. So fat arrow functions uh, cause a function to be bound to lexical this. So it would be very similar to like a function that at the end had a like dot bind this, um, but not exactly because uh, you don't actually have to do the binding. It, it literally just uses lexical scope or whatever versus uh, a function that has doesn't use this inside at all uh, and also is not a fat arrow and is not bound. So an unbound function. So th there's no such thing as an unbound fat arrow function because it's always bound to lexical this. But um, this friend was uh, saying that by default now, we should use fat arrows. That way, everything is always bound to lexical this. And that's, uh, like, let's lint for that and let's not allow us to use the function keyword anymore. Uh, thoughts? That sounds... <laughs> I, a bit. I feel like we, like, in the code that I wrote, I, I write, I feel like we do this a lot, but not always, but it's because we need a, we need the... Mm. So there are a few cases that <sighs> is fine, like uh, like uh, constructors. There's no constructors with fat arrows and, and, and a few other mm -hmm. like edge cases. And those would be perfectly fine to limp for. But I can definitely understand the argument um, where the fat arrow, like in my mind, unbound functions are the default. And if you don't use this, why would you bind the function? 
and I still I pretty much agree that was my the, my argument uh like I'm I'm smart enough to know if I use the word this um but like you know like let's add like the team aspect and the fact that we already lint for semicolons and all these other things and I can definitely see the argument that if everyone just uses fat arrows for everything then this is always what you expect it to be even in the unbound case everything is always bound to lexical this and it kind of like smooths over maybe that confusing part of the language yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying is I think that we tend to do this anyway, but not in a, we don't lint for it, but we, I think it's more out of laziness that we tend to do it because it's less typing. Cool. Whether we need yeah. the, this or not, we just do it because it's a really handy way to write. I mean, think we do this all the time with um, like arrow functions that you pass to map or something like that. We don't need the this binding, but it's just the handy way to do it. Right. Um. Yeah, so I guess I lose. Uh, it seems like... But I don't know I, if I there's a like, reason to do it. Yeah. It's like... My my opinion is pretty much that, like, I'm fine for our company choosing to, like, have an application where we lint in this way and write JavaScript in this style. But I think it's weird to, like, refer to fat arrows as, like, the default way to write functions and to refer to, like, functions as, like, I feel like it's kind of like a beginner unfriendly history. Like it's a retcon of JavaScript right? to try and be like, this is the new right way to do it. And everything you've seen that's not from before, that's older than three years ago is just wrong and weird now. <laughs> yeah. And I think one interesting thing about this person uh, is that like pretty much their entire JavaScript career is in the, the era of fat arrows. And so I think mm -hmm. actually to them, fat arrows are default. Like, why would you write out function? And to me, that's just like a bizarre Right. concept that like the first thing I do is write a function then if I think about it and I want it to be bound to a lexical this then I would choose to to use the fat arrow and mm -hmm. but that's not always true like but like some of the stuff with fat arrows like inside classes can get a little wonky you have to do like an equals fat arrow rather than do the shorthand um, because then things aren't bound to lexical this um, so there are some some tricks and, and stuff that that don't make it super easy but I don't know. I think I'm kind of sold. I think that you could rephrase this as like kids these days or get off my lawn. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Uh, Nate Query. Well, I mean, there's no better time for the kids to get off your lawn than right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to beep that out, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> family, family friendly podcast. I think every once in a while we get an explicit tag. Uh, so we'll, yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah. We certainly, even back in the day, we used to curse. I mean, uh, not a ton, but uh, a good amount. But the <laughs> how many sparkles and ponies and rainbows uh, were presented definitely did not give a fair <laughs> indication of the amount of cursing that <laughs> might end up on a show. Um, we, we did this. Uh, this isn't a segment either, but we did this uh, during our our live uh, reunion show last time. I thought I might bring it back. I wanted to. Feel the air for predictions for the web uh, or JavaScript in the next, like, you know, one one to five years or something like that. Uh, like, what's going to change? What standards are going to make it? What's going to die? Uh, does anyone have any uh, considerable thoughts here? I, I have one. I'm somebody's going to tell me why I'm wrong. It's uh, the point of having a podcast. Five years, probably maybe less, but I don't know how much less. Brave is going to overtake Firefox. Whoa. A brave prediction. Yeah. 
Uh, for what it's worth, I I'm a I my primary browser has been Brave um, on mobile and desktop for maybe the last month, and most of the time it's fine. Wait, what's the what's the rendering engine? What's Brave built on? Chromium. Mm. Is it? He knew the answer to that. No, yeah. no, I thought no. I, for some reason, I actually thought they were they built it on Gecko. No, it's Chromium. No, it definitely oh, yeah. looks more Firefoxy uh, in okay, places, and I dis I dislike a lot of those rough edges uh but i think they got a pretty small team uh especially working on on that type of stuff so i forgive them for now yeah i use it as my primary um personal browser i don't use it for like i have a a chrome for work um and a chrome that i use for gmail but then i use brave for like browsing yeah uh i i was talking to brendan a little bit uh on twitter about like new features um there's one weird thing paul is that dev tools in in brave can't be docked it has to be a separate window because Ooh. of like some uh wow. like secure i don't know like some uh i think it's has to do with the separation of the member the sandboxing or something like that i don't know uh, to something or other for me process sandboxing we have a we, there's two separate processes so yeah putting them in the same thing is kind of a painful i guess but interesting yeah yeah and th- like they're, they're looking into doing some stuff where you could put brave as your uh like native runtime what's that webcat uh, webkit uh native or something like that adam uh, electron that's the one that's the one uh, electron is is like the the webkit native thing Right, and some people are looking into getting Brave as the the browser there. That way, like by default, it's more uh, user something or other secure. Uh, and then my last tidbit there is uh, private browsing. It's something that I think users get wrong a lot of times. They think that like you can log into your Twitter account in private browsing mode, and like no one knows it's you. Uh, you know, like they don't realize that their identity is tied to them a hundred different ways, and just like not well, having your cookies there uh, isn't going to stop literally everyone from knowing your IP address and everything you do. And, and you're like, it doesn't force HTTPS, like nothing, none of those things. Uh, and so they're looking into doing, uh, Jan, Janzu uh, Bcrypt uh, is, is mm-hmm. I think has a wiki page on the Brave GitHub for a Tor mode in like, so when you open up a new tab in private mode, it's toward. So like your regular browser isn't toward. But if you open up a private thing, it's both like they delete all your cookies and there's no like like normal private mode, but also it runs over Tor, uh, which I think is kind of brilliant in the sense that like that's what users expect um, whenever they think about private mode. Like, I think private really is. Yeah, it's like, I mean, still you can then leak information via a hundred other different ways, but that's kind of on you. But like the browser actually is doing its job if they had a Tor private mode. I think it'd be really nifty. But also, like, the Tor infrastructure needs some work before that can necessarily become a super reality. Anyways, that was a long time on... on... Well, that's my prediction. Yeah, good job. Good. I, I like, I like I that got... prediction. Yeah, I, I don't know if I believe it. Uh, anyone else have a, know, a prediction? Yeah, I don't know if I believe it either, but... but Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, even if, if Brave doesn't, like, beat Firefox, I think Brave will influence the other browsers. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think that eventually they're coding needs to is going to get easier on things that are not keyboards um or and i I don't know i don't have any insight on to when or how but it just seems kind of unmaintainable unsustainable 
that like yeah, the just more, because everyone has right, like especially like a generation of people, um, you know, have their primary internet access on their on their phone, and it's like in a world where like you know you're used to having your terminal up next to your editor next to your browser, and like like how do we op- like make this work uh, for people who are primarily developing without that? And maybe I, I can't imagine it's going to be as bad as it is now <laughs> in five years. Yeah. No, that's a. I also have no idea what it would be, uh, but I, I guess that is ripe for all you entrepreneurs out there to fail a few times on some touch something or other holograms. The pinboard guy was just talking on Twitter about like how programmers don't think they can be replaced by automation. I wonder, like, we won't be using keyboards because we aren't doing anything at all. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was going to throw out a prediction along those lines, which was that. Um, like common that more uh, basic uh, web design is going to be handled by our AI overlords. And especially like it makes a whole lot of sense with like Wix and Squarespace, et cetera, to be using whatever that, that startup that I think didn't really. <laughs> yeah. Fail. It's like the AI uh, generated hive or something. Yeah, something. I think it was like the hive. The, or... It was like the square, the, the, the grid, the grid, the grid, the grid. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And I, I think that the idea is compelling and it would actually work for a, a, a bunch of websites. Like that would definitely work for a lot of like smaller, uh, small businesses and like all those sorts of things. But yeah. uh, I mean, we'll see. Only, only kind of uh, on that path. It, it was a failed startup, but my manager, I, I feel like they sort of had a cool idea that maybe will work in the future. Uh, it was uh, user testing with AI, uh, kind of match those two together. So rather than writing your tests, it's like an AI knows that there's a button and that it might Ooh. like click on, fill out a form and then do these things and like act like a real user would act on a page. So you could kind That's of just like compelling. give it a web page and then it would like use it like a user would use it uh, rather than, I mean, obviously you'd probably still write other types of tests, but I, I thought that was kind of cool uh, as an idea. Um, but uh, I think my, my actual prediction that I was going to say for this though is that there will be like the React model of things might still be around, but uh, I think my prediction is that it will be React-like, but the underlying technology will be web components. Uh, so, like, you may author in something that's not web components, but I think I'm I'm betting on it a little bit for performance reasons. Uh, that like, if someone can build something with the experience of React and all that stuff, and then like I know some of this already exists, and and you guys are all going to send me tweets or whatever, but something will come along that actually gets people to to change their mind. But I think it will happen sometime. I think Alex Russell just kind of took over your body there for a minute. Oh, no, it's, uh, it happens uh, five uh, minutes that actually took a, that, ha- that happened a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Live through me. Um, cool. Uh, so someone asked a question, uh, Paul, in the um, in the JS Party Slack channel, which you guys can all join, uh, changelog.com slash JS Party. Um, and and you uh, kind of perked up, and I was uh, I was a little bit interested in why you perked up so much because the question seemed uh, like a joke. Uh, so the the question was, why is query selector all so long? Um, and then you also mentioned ad event listener is also long. Why why? Why is that funny? Why do you have a story about that? <laughs> uh, okay, so I think, yeah, the the, the question seems pretty valid uh, because, like, it is, it is to go back to our jQuery roots, it is getting elements and doing things with them. Um, and so 
uh, and I, you know, I write code with query selector all an advent listener every single day. So I, I still do feel this pain. So why are they actually so long? Uh, one, because naming is hard and two, because standards is hard. And so put those together and you always end up with really big names. But there was actually there's conversations on both of these cases to uh, introduce shorter APIs for them. So taking query selector all first, um, in there is a published spec called selectors level two um, that has a element.find and element.findall method, which basically are the exact same things as query selector all, but with one key fix, which is the really weird behavior where query selector all, like you do element.query selector all, and it can actually return an element that is uh, not a descendant of that uh, rooted element that you're using, which is what? really unexpected. And that's why. <laughs> yeah, what? Did, I, I sort of Ow. tuned up. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, um, you can do, uh, I think what it is, is uh, like, let's say that you have the small item container, um, and then you say query selector all, and then you pass it uh, hash ID, and then something else. And it will actually just reach out above this whole item container and return it from another place in the DOM. So the context doesn't matter. Right, yeah. right. What Which if I want the context to matter? Because that's dumb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically, it was a it was a bug. Context in... stopped mattering a long time ago in this country. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bug yeah. in in how they designed the feature, um, and they just messed it up. And you can actually go back. Resig, I think John Resig has like two blog posts around 2007, 2008, saying, "Hey, there's this API that's about to come out. It has this massive bug." Um, but uh, I guess nobody really decided to like pay attention and fix it before every browser shipped it. So that happened. So find and find all actually fixed this uh, fix this bug. But it's shipped. It's it, it exists. Where it's like draw. Find and find all. No. Oh. Find and find all do not exist uh, other than in the spec, and they're just sitting there in the spec, looking so pretty. And you're just like, it would be nice to type something a little bit shorter. But, and I was looking into it, and as far as I can tell, um, spec-wise, it's in good shape, uh, decent, decently good shape. It just, browsers have not actually committed to, they just haven't done it yet. I think they just haven't gotten around to it, and no one's, like, pressured them. Uh, is there a different story for Ad Event Listener? Yeah, the different, slightly different story there, which is that there are a lot of conversations around introducing an on method to the element prototype which would just be nice to shorten things up. And there's some hesitation there from the editor of the DOM spec who uh, basically says, yes, it's kind of nice for developer ergonomics, but if we're going to you know, go and introduce this new method, we might as well introduce some uh, kind of next generation event listening functionality into it while we're at it. So not just copy the exact same API, but handle kind of more observable uh, like support for listening to events. Um, and so let's wait until all of those kind of primitives exist before we before we introduce it. So that's and that's kind of been the position for about like seven years. So that's just going to hang out there for a little while longer, yeah. I think. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, I think some of the, my favorite predictions from the channel were that we wouldn't get Element media queries, which have been predicted for a really long time. It's the the Linux of the desktop of CSS features. 
uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, you can make media queries based on the size of the entire browser window, but not based on the size of the individual elements. That changes. Does that change a little bit with Shadow DOM? Does anyone know, Paul? I assume you can do like element or, or like media queries inside of a Shadow DOM, or is it like full? That maybe no one knows. It's not. It's not scoped to the to the Shadow DOM. No, it's still the full thing. It doesn't change. Still with Shadow full DOM. window. That's rough. Yeah. I know, I know that the, the biggest concern, like we have people listening uh, who know this better than me. I know the biggest concern with element queries was that um, doing height uh, element queries can go into a recursive loop, and that's a big problem. And I actually sit pretty close to one of the, the CSS spec editors, and I was like, hey, but what if we just do width, just the width element query, and just ignore height? Because we don't, like developers don't need it. And it's hard for you guys as spec editors to figure out. So what about just width? And he's like, yeah, yeah, but it's like not. Actually, I don't know what he said, but <laughs> that would be ideal. Uh, you did not listen to his response. <laughs> he said something. I have a suggestion, Paul. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Uh, we normally end the episode with uh, picks. Uh, do you guys have picks by any chance? Did any of you do that? I gave you some homework. Um, anyone have one? Oh yeah. yeah. If I say yes, is that going to be pressure for other people, <laughs> or will that just give them time to? I think I got one. Uh, at the okay, cool. We're going right. to do two picks, Rebecca and uh, Paul, uh, because we're a little bit short on time. So, Rebecca, what's your pick? Um, so I lied when I said I'm a JavaScript developer. I'm actually mostly a manager these days. Um, so that's my dirty secret. But my pick is Camille Fournier's book, The Manager's Path. If you, like us, have grown up in the last few years um, and maybe you're taking on some more responsibilities at work, even if you're not a manager, um, it's a really, really awesome book about technical leadership and navigating that in an organization. So not about JavaScript, but highly recommend it. Cool. Um, I think Adam, you said, or Paul, you said. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, you can. You can. You can oh, okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks. Um, so my pick is an image. Uh, it's a slide from a presentation that I picked up on, I think, the web dev subreddit um, late last night. Oh. And I like this. This uh, is an old joke is, for what it's worth, Paul. This is what? This is an old joke. Just a very just old so joke. Yeah. That, but really, I'm, I'm glad that you have never seen it because that <laughs> validates my it. life. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I'll just tell it. Oh, okay. Maybe it. Oh. Um, this is a cheat sheet. <laughs> you, you heard it for... here first. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Irish didn't know something before someone else. It happened. Oh God. It's a cheat sheet for HTTP return codes. So we have, you know, return codes are 100s, 200s, 300s, 400s, and 500s. So the 100s uh, return codes translates essentially to hold on. The 200s are like, you know, straight up 200 is the, you're all good. Um, so 200s is, here you go. The 300s, go away. Redirects. 400s, uh, you f***ed up. And the 500s, if I f***ed up. Server errors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think that actually, yeah, seeing it like that makes it really, really clear. I feel mm. like somebody just explained a joke to me. Yeah, it made yeah. it really clear to me in 1997. <laughs> Remember that <laughs> joke? Release. Um, we love you, Paul. Yeah, the uh, if if you're interested in some of the the funnier uh, 
spec stuff. There, there's a lot of people. The joke that I think I see get made the most. Uh, the thing that's reminding me of this is the 418. I'm a teapot response. Um, but mm. the 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 spec joke that I see made the most is that HTML should add a sarcasm element. Uh, to the specification, right? You guys see that one all the time. I think GF3 had a tweet. Uh-huh. A, a, yep. It's in there. There's a sarcasm element. Uh, it's in the spec. Go check it's it out. <laughs> yeah, it's an official sarcasm element. Uh, that kind of gets us into a trick, though, because because they did reply to GF3's tweet with, "Oh yeah, we should totally add that." Uh, I'll I'll find the link and or whatever. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Wow. We can me and me and Paul can both be wrong at the end of an episode or whatever. Well, I mean, uh, if, if people want to stay up to date with like the freshers web dev memes and like jokes, what they should do is like just follow the I am developer Twitter for Twitter account. <laughs> Actually, it, it got shut down. It's it's gone. Really? What? what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh man. It doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, for for those uh for those people. Wondering the there was a, a Twitter account called I am Developer. Uh, it was like wait, a wait, wait, Napoleon wait. Dynamite. It's there. It's up there. Uh, it is. I see a tweet as of two days ago. We're just wrong left and right. Uh, it was gone for a while. I saw tweets like uh, I'm blocked. I'm like, blocked. I am Developer. Oh, you're blocked. Me. I see. <laughs> I think both we're all blocked. blocked. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, someone. Someone was tweeting like a celebration on that account being gone recently. I bet you they were blocked too. So never mind. This is a Twitter account that just steals jokes from other developers and then a million more people favored it whenever they tweet it without any attribution. It's uh it's the so, yeah. uh my pick was a pick on I am developer, you joke stealing. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right. I think we're extremely out of time, uh, but it was a lovely uh uh, getting to catch up with y'all. Indeed. Peace out. Peace. Woo! We're sorry to tell you it's time to go. We hope you had fun. Cause now we are done with our show. Alright, that wraps up this episode of GS Party, a takeover episode from the Equary Podcast. Alex Sexton, Paul Irish, Rebecca Murphy, and Adam Sontag back for a reunion show. We record this show live every Friday at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern, and we'd love for you to be in Slack with us. Join the community so you can Slack with us in real time at thechangelog.com slash community. Special thanks to our sponsors, Century and TopTow. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, at thefastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood. The theme music for JS Party is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. Also, thanks to Jonathan Neal for the usage of the 8 Great Podcast soundtrack. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.